everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live.
Let's go in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we worship you. We praise you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for what you've already done, for what you're doing, and for what you're going to do. Thank you, Father, for what your plan is for today. Thank you, Father, that you are in control. Thank you, Father, that you are the leader and the head of the church and that you are leading and teaching your people. Thank you, Father, for everything you've revealed to us thus far, the things that you are continuing to reveal to us to help us to understand better, to bring us into alignment with your spirit, your truth, and your word, to bring us into the middle of your will, to bring us out of darkness, out of the lies and deceptions, out of traditional religion, out of Babylon. Thank you, Father, that you are faithful and that you will finish the work in us that you began. Thank you, Father, that you are still creating your creation, that you are still working in us today, and that there is a future and a kingdom, and may your will prevail in this service and for always and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Well, we're going to be starting in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start right at the very beginning today. Amen. Praise God. And you're listening to the live services of I Saw the Light Ministries coming to you from the area of eastern Tennessee. And for the record, today's date is May the 20th, 2017 A.D., in the year of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What? 27th. That was last week's date. Today is the 27th. And then today's date in God's calendar is the 24th of the second month. 24th of the second month in God's calendar. And we've got eight days to go to Pentecost. We are counting down. Amen. Praise God. It is exciting. Eight days to the celebration of Pentecost. Praise God. It's so sad that so many people won't even know that it's Pentecost on that day. They won't know, or even if they know it's Pentecost, if they see it on the calendar or if they see it on the Internet, they still will not comprehend the multiple multiple meanings and, and great magnitude of the day. They won't be able to share in the celebration with us. That's sad. But for us, it will be a day of celebration. I encourage you, bake a cake ahead of time. Get a pack of balloons, put them up in your living rooms, especially if you have children, even if you don't have children. 
I encourage you to celebrate Pentecost. Amen. Praise God. And we will be having services two days in a row next weekend. It's just next weekend. Praise God. And uh, we're going to be camping, my wife and I, and Brother Jason coming down from Canada will be camping also in tents. And um, we're praying for good weather and dry weather. And uh, so we'll be having uh, services both days, Saturday and Sunday next weekend, outside. Amen. So we praise God for this. It's very exciting. We really look forward to it. But even if you cannot be with us in person, you can still be with us in those services both days. You can still be with us over the Internet, over the telephone. You will be part of it. You will be attending with us. And we'll all be of one mind, one accord, one spirit in unity. Unity of doctrine, unity of faith, and unity of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. And then the Feast of uh, Tabernacles coming up in October, October the 5th through the 12th, the Fiesta of Tabernacles. And instead of just being one or two days, it will be eight days of camping, of sermons, Bible studies, survival classes, all kinds of activities for eight days. I really encourage people to do their very best to be able to come and be with us during that time. But you need to know if you come. You need to come and set up your tents and campers and RVs and stuff on the day before that. Because we don't want anybody working setting up tents, setting up campsites on the holy days, days of commanded rest. We don't want that because God does not want that. And we don't want people traveling long distances on those days of the holy days. These days are to be respected as holy unto the Lord. So you need to come, plan it to where you can come and be set up before the holy days and stay throughout the feast until it is done and complete 100% before you leave. Because it's a serious, serious thing to break the commandments. We are not over-legalistic people. We are not Hebrew roots. We are not following just the letter of the law. We look at the spirit of the law. But the spirit of the law is still true that these days are holy. The Sabbath day is holy. The, the fiestas, they are holy unto the Lord. They are special. They are sanctified. They are set apart from all the other days. So we need to respect those days and honor those days and treat them as holy unto the Lord. We don't need to be setting up campsite, tents, and traveling or any such thing on those days. But to honor them as being holy and sanctified and set apart from all other days. Amen. But today, the topic is going to be about 
the cycles of recreation. Recreation. It is something that most people have never heard about. They have not been taught this about the traditional churches. But this is something that that God himself put into my mind, into my heart, to minister unto you today. This is not something that I just came up with in the past few days. But God was dealing with this with me as far back as last seventh day, a week ago from today, and not just yesterday or the day before, but as far back as an entire week ago that God was already speaking to me, guiding me, leading me, sword that this would be the next sermon. Not that I understood that immediately, that it would be the next sermon, but that he was dealing with me about this, leading in that direction, coming to that conclusion that, yes, this is definitely the message for today. Recreation, cycles. And cycles, you're going to start learning about cycles. And on the day of Pentecost, I will be releasing this next Sunday, a week from tomorrow, I will be releasing uh, a very special announcement, a, a major revelation that will be hard for some people to accept. Uh, and it deals with cycles. And so today we will lay a foundation of learning about cycles. But we'll start today with a cycle of recreation, and starting in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. So chapter 1, verse 1 of the Bible starts right at the very beginning, not a day later or a week later or a year later or a million years later, but right at the beginning. And then that word created, you really need to understand that that word created does not mean just to make something because that's what most people just assume that it means, just Make something. But it's more than that. It's deeper than that. It means to create perfect. To create, to make flawless. A perfect creation. Do we really believe that when God very, 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 very first began creating the heavens and earth, that he made mistakes? No. Do we really believe that he created the moon back then the same way it looks today? No, because we know that when we look at, at the moon from the earth today, we look at the moon, you see all those great or big giant dark areas on the moon, those craters. We know for a fact that those craters, those craters, those dark areas of the moon, that they used to not be there. 
we know that some of those dark areas on the moon, what looks like dark areas to our eyes on Earth, some of those used to be oceans. We have found ice on the moon. And we know that some of them used to be oceans. We know some of them are named, actually all of them are named, and some of them is named such and such sea and such and such ocean, I believe. Pretty sure of that. And some of them we know came on there throughout time by comets and asteroids hitting the moon, making those sinkholes, making those craters in the moon. So they were not always there. And they did not always look the way they look today. And the same is true about Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto, and even the Earth itself. We know for a fact that the landscape of the world today here on Earth is not the way it looked originally. We know for a fact that Africa, uh, Europe, and the different continents that we see today used to be connected, not separated. Where now the Mediterranean Sea is, there was not a Mediterranean Sea in the beginning, but rather the top of Africa was connected to Italy, to Spain and France and those nations in Europe. It used to be just one giant landmass. When you look on the map of Greenland and Canada, well, you know that Greenland and Iceland and Canada all used to be one landmass. This is so clear to even somebody without any education at all. You don't have to have gone to college to know this or to accept this or to believe this. All you got to do is look at a map and see how some of the land areas look like a puzzle that has been separated. You can look at the top of Canada and where it meets uh the water there, and it goes over to Greenland, because uh, I'm looking at a map that we got on a wall here in our sanctuary. And you can tell how it's a perfect puzzle, how all the pieces of the pieces of the puzzle would fit perfectly if it was not for these bodies of water that now separate these continents. But we know that, that the tectonic plates of the Earth have shifted and separated and that we know we can look by satellite and trace how these continents and nations are still moving inch by inch. Every year, we can measure every year and they come out with with the measurements every year of how much the land has moved since last year. We know for a fact uh, that uh, the nations and continents and land masses are getting farther and farther apart in some cases and closer and closer in other cases. We know that Alaska and Russia, where now you've got anywhere from 20 to 50 miles apart from those with water separating them, used to be a land bridge where people walked across from what was Russia and, and, and into Alaska and so forth. 
So the earth does not look the same way today as it did millions of years ago. Neither do the planets and the moons and the solar systems. Because in verse 1, God created these things different than they look today. Different. Because you did not yet have the meteors and asteroids and comets in verse 1. And then verse 2, something happens. Verse 2, it says, the earth was formless and void. And people assume that it's going backward in time before verse 1. Because the Bible does go back and forth, we know that. And so people assume that it's just going back before verse 1, explaining that before God created things, it was void. But that's not true. That's a false assumption. If you look at the word was, the earth was formless and void, the word was here should be translated became. It's not going back before verse 1, but rather it is going in order of time. Verse 1 was the beginning, the actual real first creation, when God created everything different than they appear today, without the corruption that we see upon the planets today. But verse 2, something happened to that creation. The earth became formless and void, and darkness came over the surface of the deep. And then it should have a period there. And then verse 3 should start after that word there. After the word deep, verse 3 should begin. Because, see, in the original Bibles, there was no verse separations. You didn't have chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. There was no chapter numbers or verse numbers in the original Bibles. In fact, you did not even have a separation by space between verse numbers and paragraphs. It was just one continual, 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 continual so many millions of words. So you didn't have the separation of verses and chapters. And so in the Geneva Bible in 1560, mankind started adding the verse numbers and chapter numbers in 1560. And that was good to help us to be able to know uh, how to read it better, how to understand it better in our modern language, in our modern way of creating sentence structures. And uh, But mankind did make some mistakes. I have found over and over and over and over places where they should not have separated the chapters or the verses where they did. For example, the last verse of Revelation 13 talking about the mark of the beast. The last verse of Revelation 13 is separated from chapter 14, verse 1, and it should not be, and it was not. In the original New Testament, it was not separated. And mankind, when they added these verse numbers and chapter numbers, sometimes they did it in the wrong place, which makes you, as a modern reader, stop reading that chapter 
and say, well, I'll finish reading the chapter, the next chapter tomorrow. But the fact is that Revelation 14, verse 1, should not be separated from the last verse of Revelation 13. So the same is true in this passage of Genesis 1. They should have put verse 3 in a different location to help you understand. So understanding all these things, verse 2, the earth became formless and void and darkness came over the surface of the deep, period. Then it should say, verse 3, then the Spirit of God came moving over the surface of the waters. Now that word moving, what it says moving in New American Standard, should be translated as brooded, to brood. He brooded over the surface of the waters. And what that word brooded means is to sit upon or to hoover over in a manner that would warm and create life, to hatch for a chicken, to brood the eggs, to sit upon the eggs, chicken eggs, to hatch those eggs, to, to put a, a heat lamp over a cage of little chicks, to brood those chicks in order to keep them warm and alive, to keep them from getting cold and freezing to death. The word brooded means to bring warmth in order to melt ice, in order to create life, in order to hatch into life from what had been cold but what now is heated up. So what happened here is God melting the ice age. Now, as always, we are going to use other scriptures, other verses, other chapters of the Bible to prove all this. Okay? We never use one verse theology. If you have ever listened to these services before, we will go throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, line upon line, precept upon precept, to prove the truth, to show you that it's not just my opinion or my doctrine or my teaching, but biblical truth. So I ask you to bear with me and give me time to share you multiple scriptures that will bring all of this to light. And then you see the, the continual six days of what's going on here. He does different things on different days. Then he rested the seventh day. And people think that this chapter is the original creation. But the truth is, only verse 1 is the original creation. And then the rest of this chapter is the recreation. So you have cycles of time. The original creation in verse 1, then the recreation in the rest of the chapter. And we approve that in other passages. Now let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis 3, verse 1, 
later on, while Adam and Eve is in the Garden of Eden, chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent, which we know is the devil, was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, the serpent said to the woman Eve, Indeed, God has said you shall not eat of any tree of the garden. We know the rest of it, what happened, the fall of Adam and Eve. But the point I like to make here is the serpent was evil. Amen? The serpent was a, the serpent was a liar and a deceiver and led Adam and Eve into the fall of man. But the devil, Satan, had already fallen to the earth. And he was in the Garden of Eden. Amen? We know this. So, if Satan had already fallen upon the earth, remember Jesus said that he saw Satan fall from heaven. Now, the word Lucifer was not in the original Bibles. That was added in into the Latin Vulgate Bible in 400 and something A.D. The word Lucifer had never been in the original Pale Hebrew Bible, nor the Aromatic Bible, nor the Greek Cetudian Bible. The word Lucifer had never appeared in any scripture, in any scroll, or any context of, uh, context of scripture until the Latin Vulgate of 400 and something A.D., which was the Bible of the Roman Catholic Church. So, Lucifer was not really the devil's name at that time. But it became the devil's name, and I do believe that that is our evil name and that it does refer to Satan. But we need to understand that it's just a name that the Catholic Church invented or privately knew within themselves and then eventually uh, shared with mankind. But it was not written in Scripture. Never was written in Scripture. Ever, 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 ever. Until the fake Bible of the Catholic Bible in 400-something A.D. But that's just a point in passing. The fact is, Jesus said that he saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. When when did he see? When did Jesus see Satan fall from heaven? Let's go to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. And we will read about the fall of Satan and where he was before he fell to the earth and how that came to be and how it happened. And we know it was before Adam and Eve was created. It was before Adam and Eve was created. And I don't think that there's hardly anybody that would disagree with that statement. I think that's very well known, very well accepted among all different denominations and teachings. I believe that's very well established and very well accepted that the devil failed from heaven and became evil, rebelled against God before Adam and Eve. So, but yeah, Adam and Eve was created, what, on the sixth day 
out of the seven days of recreation. So if Satan had already fallen from heaven, even before the Garden of Eden, and he was already evil and he was already the serpent in the Garden of Eden, then creation, that automatically is proof solid, right there all by itself, with no other point. Even that all by itself is solid, 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 undeniable proof that creation already existed before Adam and Eve and before the Garden of Eden because Satan did not fall in Genesis 1 of the seven days. Did Satan fall on the first day, second day, third, fourth, or fifth, or sixth day of the recreation of Genesis 1? No, it was before all that. Now let's go to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, starting in verse 11. Ezekiel 28, verse 11. Ezekiel 28, verse 11, and again... The word of Jesus came to me, saying, Son of man, take an elimination over the king of Tyre and say to him. Now, the king of Tyre would be a man or what looked like a man upon the earth. But let's keep reading to see who he really is. Thus saith Jesus, Lord Jesus, you had to the king of Tyre, speaking to the king of Tyre, you had the seal of perfection. Underlying perfection. The devil, just like the moon and the stars and the earth, were all created perfectly. God did not create things in vain or void or formless or with imperfections, but rather he created everything perfectly. He created the devil perfectly. But the devil himself with free will, voluntarily fell away from God. So you had the seal of perfection, the king of Tyre did, full of wisdom. The Bible says that the, the serpent was more crafty or more wise. King James says wise, I think, maybe. But full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God, or the paradise of God. Greek Satuti in the Greek Bible says the, the uh, paradise of Eden. The, the, in Eden, the paradise of God. Who is this talking about? It's talking about Satan. And, and it says, and every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond. Now let's back up a little bit here because is it really talking about a human king? Would there be a human king, the king of Tyre, which is in the Middle East, which is Lebanon, would this leader that lived in the time of Ezekiel, a man on earth, a man on earth, a president of a nation or of a town, in the Middle East, in Ezekiel's lifetime, would he have been in the Garden of Eden? 
Good question. How is that possible? Only possible because Daniel tells us, as well as other scripture, that some of the presidents are actually fallen angels. When, when Daniel prayed and God sent an angel to answer his prayer, the angel finally came and said, basically, I would have been here earlier, but the prince of Persia withstood me, talking about fallen angels. But yet also leaders of nations, Nephilim and, and half-breeds of half-human and half-fallen angels, as well as and, and uh, as well as certain individuals upon the earth that are not even Nephilim, not even half-breed, but totally fallen angels. Now, let this not give you excuse to disrespect the government and the law. God told Jeremiah to tell the people to submit themselves even to the king of Babylon, and that's in Jeremiah. And then in, in Romans and 1 Peter, the scriptures tell us to submit ourselves even to the wicked king. So let not this bear anger into you. Let not this bring rebellion into you, but rather just understanding that there are fallen angels on the earth that manifest themselves as humans, as in the case of the son of Kedisha, the Antichrist, who is a fallen angel. And both of the popes are fallen angels rather than real humans. So we'll continue to read here. And let's just go down. Uh, well, we'll keep reading in verse 13, starting in verse 13 again. You were in Eden, the garden of God, Every precious stone was your covering, the, the ruby and the topaz and the diamond, the pearl, the onyx and the jasper, and the uh, lapis lazura, the turquoise and the emerald, and the gold and the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you on the day that you were created. So they were prepared. So in the day that the devil was created, who is wise and perfect, all these other things was also prepared. And verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. What is a cherub? It is a guardian angel who covers the seat of God. Satan was, before he rebelled against God, a covering angel. An angel that stood at the seat of God, right next to God himself. And when you have vice presidents and assistants and guards and people that stand beside you, a lot of them get envy. And there are assassinations all over the earth because vice presidents and assistants and army generals want to be the one in control. They look at the president and they say, I could do better. 
just like I've heard many, 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 many people in my life say, if I was God, I would do it different. They ought to be slapped up across the head. But that is so blasphemous. But that's what the devil did. The devil said, I should be God. You are the anointed cherub, an angel. This human leader in Babylon, in Lebanon, in Lebanon, the king of Tyre, he was not a normal human. He was Satan. And it says, you walked in the midst of the stones afar, in verse 14. What's that? That's talking about planets. That's talking about the solar system. Verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you by the abundance of your trade. You were internally filled with violence and you sinned. And that word sin means broke the law of God. Therefore, I have cast you as halal. I have cast you as profane. And that the word written was halal. Because the word halal means profane. I have cast you as defiled. I have cast you as profane. I have cast you as being in rebellion against God, which means halal. I have cast you as halal from the mountain of God. He cast him out of heaven and out of the government and out of the kingdom of God. That's where the word mountain means, is government, kingdom. I cast you out of the kingdom of God. Also referring to heaven, for those that have just joined us, we're in Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, we're in verse 16. Ezekiel 28, verse 16. From the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covenant cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Now, he didn't really destroy Satan right then and there, but he demoted him. In verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. So he brought him down to appear as a human. Verse 18. But now let's go back to verse 1. Let's back up a little bit now. I I wanted you to read those particular verses first so that you could understand better. But now that you understand all that, let's go back to verse 1 of Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, verse 1, Now the word of Jesus came again to me. Now why am I saying Jesus there? In case you've not listened to this broadcast ever before. It's because, look out the word Lord, and I'll try not to linger on this very long, but just for those that have joined for the first time, the word Lord is in all capital letters here. There's a reason for that. And the reason is that we know for a fact, it's not even debated, There's no question about it. It's in all capital letters to make it stand out from all the other letters here to let you know that it replaced the true name of God, that the true name of God was taken out of the Bible 
during the Babylonian captivity of the Hebrews and replace with another word. And then in another translation, another word, another word, another word. Until eventually it became the Lord. But that's not what was originally written. So we cannot say that the Bible that we have today in the King James Version or the New American Version or the NIV or any of those translations, not even the King James, is 100% accurate to the original Bible. Because we know for a fact that they took the name of God out of the Old Testament and eventually added the words, the Lord. And that is why it's all capital letters, to let you know that. They don't even hide that from you. But you're not taught that in the traditional churches of man because the leaders of the traditional churches are ignorant of Bible history. This should be kindergarten Bible class, the first class of, of seminary. But they don't even teach you that in a lot of the seminaries. And if they do teach you that, they're teaching you uh, different words, lies and deceptions, rather than the true name of God. So we'll continue here in verse 2. But I'm saying that it originally said the word Jesus in the Old Testament before they took the name of God out. And that is proven on the ministry website. I show you how it exactly looked in the oldest scrolls that we have on earth, how that true name of God looked before they took it out. Because we do have fragments of some very, very ancient Bibles from thousands of years ago. So we know the way it looked before they took it out. And I'll explain on the ministry website, letter by letter, how it was pronounced, what it means. I give you proof, undeniable, irrefutable proof, that it was Jesus, the God of the Old Testament, from the beginning to the end, the Alpha and the Omega. We only serve one God. He has always existed. Amen. So, and then in verse 2, Son of Man, say to the leader of Tyre, Thus saith the Lord Jesus, Because your heart is lifted up, and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God. That's what Satan said. Satan wanted to take over the throne of God. He still wants to do that. So we see the evil heart of the devil. And it says, I sit in the seat of God and in the heart of the seas. And God says to him, yet you are a man and not God. Not that he was human, but you're just a man, meaning, meaning, that you can, you can be destroyed. And although you made your heart like the heart of God, behold, you're wiser than Daniel, and there's no secret that is a match for you. By your wisdom and understanding, you have acquired riches for yourself and have acquired gold and silver for your treasures. And by your great wisdom, by your trade, you have increased your riches. And your heart is lifted up because of your riches. The devil is very materialistic. The devil is very materialistic. People don't understand that the devil can give you a job. The devil can give you a house. The devil can give you money. The devil can give you a brand new car. 
The devil can give you riches and fame and power. Just because you get a job or a house or money does not mean that it's a blessing from God. People need to understand that. The devil has riches, and he gives it to those people who are disobedient to God. You can be very rich by being disobedient against God. Look at Hollywood. Amen. Verse 6. Therefore, let's say of the Lord Jesus, because you have made your heart like the heart of God, and therefore, behold, I will bring strangers upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, and they will draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. Meaning, as you are leading a human nation upon the earth, I'm going to bring war to the nation that you lead. Verse 8, they will bring you down to the pit, and you will die the death of those who are slain in the heart of the seas. So we can see the death of Alexander the Great. We can see the death of Anaokakis, Apritites, but this does not mean that they are really human. In verse 9, will you still say, I am a God in the presence of your slayer, though that you are a man and not God, in the hands of those who wound you? Now notice, verse 9, will you still say this after you die? Will you still say this after your human body is taken away from you? You see, because human bodies are possessed. There are human bodies upon this earth that are possessed of devils. And just because a, a person has a human body, and just because they have a genealogy of this is their dad, this is their mom, this is their wife, this is their children, does not prove that they are really human because they are given human bodies for a day and a time and a season, a lifetime. They're given family. They're given a bloodline, so forth. But this does not prove that they are flesh and blood, even though they may have a human body. Did not the angels of heaven, the fallen angels of Satan, come down upon the earth and had sex with human women and had babies? A spirit can actually have sex. I knew a woman one time who was raped by demons, and we hear about that often upon this earth. There are fallen angels, demons, spirit beings, that can have sex, that can rape women, that can have sex with women, and conceive a baby. And then verse 10, you would die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers, for I have spoken, declares the Lord Jesus. So we see that Satan was created perfectly but then corruption came of his own free will, of his own vanity, of his own pride. The devil became corrupted by his own wicked heart. So God created everything perfect. God created the devil perfect, the earth perfect, and the universe perfect. But then corruption came to the earth. Corruption came 
to Satan and the angels. Amen. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 16. Romans 8, verse 16. Romans 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself, talking about God, testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, hires also, hires of God, and fellow hires with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Verse 18. For I consider, Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us or in us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing or the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility or vanity, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So you see here, the creation is talking about all of creation. The earth, the moon, and the stars, the solar systems, the galaxies. And those things was created perfectly. They were not created in fertility. They were not created in vain. They were not created formless. This is going back Verse 20 here is going back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. That they were created perfectly. But then the devil brought corruption, fertility, upon the creation. And the creation, verse 20, was subjected to this corruption, to this fertility, to this vanity, not willingly, but because of him, which is Satan, who subjected the creation in hope. In hope of what? In hope that he would sit in a seat of God, in the temple of God in heaven. In hope that he would become God himself. In hope that he would overthrow God. That is what it is talking about. Verse 21, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When? When will the creation be set free from the corruption? When will the creation, the sun and the moon and the stars and all the, uh, well, not the sun and the moon, well, yeah, even those in a way, in a sense, that creation, all the planets, let's say it that way, when will all the planets be delivered from the corruption and handed into our hands when it will happen in Revelation 
19, I mean Revelation 21 and 22. We won't turn there right now, but we will later. But it will happen in that time of the new heavens and new earth. Once that, once everything is complete and done, you have the coming of Jesus Christ and you have the thousand years and the short season after that and the second resurrection and the great white throne judgment, then comes new heaven and new earth. And then we will inherit the heavens and the earth. Amen. I mean, we can't really debate that, can we? That is so very clear in Scripture. And once we have that new heavens and new earth, there will no longer be that corruption that we see now in the universe. Right now, when we look upon the other planets, we say to ourselves and to one another, those planets are in vain. Those planets cannot be inhabited. Those planets are useless. Those planets don't have the oxygen and the gravity that we need as flesh and blood humans. They have been subjected to vanity. We believe that there was water upon these planets and life upon these planets. Probably at one time, the sciences are still uh, trying to prove all these things, but we believe because we know it's true. We really do. We know that these planets did not always look the way they did today. That's very clear. When you look at the surface of Mars and see where the oceans used to be, and you see the craters and the different, the, the different things upon the different planets that make it very clear. The only thing we're really looking for is the fossils or the organisms and the worms. But we know, we know that there was life upon these planets and so forth. But then corruption came to these planets. Look at Genesis 1 again. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1 again and go to another verse here, Genesis 1, and look at verse 11, Genesis 1 verse 11. Genesis 1, verse 11, within those seven days, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, and plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. Now, how can you have vegetation sprouting without a seed. Now it says that when they sprout, they're going to have seed, new seeds. And they continue to grow and have new seeds and more seeds. And they'll continue to grow and multiply. But how did the first plant begin? 
You remember that thing? Did the chicken come first or the egg come first? Well, what I'm asking is, how did you get the first plant? Let's forget about that dirty, nasty chicken for a minute, and let's think about, hey, hey, let's think about the plant for a minute. (laughs) Where did the first plant come from? How can you have a plant sprout? Now, I know God is a God of miracles. I know he spoke things into existence. But the fact that it says, let the earth sprout vegetation shows that there were roots. Amen. Roots in the ground. In fact, God spoke to me today without me even thinking about this verse, without me even knowing that I would bring it back up in this context. God spoke to me earlier today that not knowing that I would say this in the sermon, I mean, I didn't know it. God did. But I didn't know the fullness of what he was saying to me this morning, until now, this very moment. But he said something like this, that if you're going or in, in order to plant a plant, you have to have good roots. In order to plant a plant, you have to have roots. And those roots must be good enough to survive for that plant to grow. Amen. So, in order for the vegetation to sprout, there had to have been roots in order for them to sprout. Then notice it says, and plants yielding seed and fruit trees in the earth bearing fruit after their kind, with seed in them and ever so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And it was good. Then look over here in verse uh, 21. Verse 21, God created the great sea monsters, talking about whales and stuff like that, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters formed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. Look at verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. How can the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind if there was no such kind before? What God is saying here is let there be cats that are of the previous kind. Let there be elephants of the previous kind. Let there be lizards of the previous kind that had existed in the time of the dinosaurs. Can we deny that there were monstrous, gigantic, and small dinosaurs upon the earth, sea creatures, sea monsters that no longer exist? We can't deny that. We have the fossils. We have the bones. I saw in a museum once up in uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia, years ago. I went to a museum there and saw a fully reconstructed dinosaur, huge. All the bones, the pieces of the puzzle all put together. The head and the feet and the ribs and the backbone, all of it. 
can we deny the proof that we can actually see and touch? Come on now. And yet, your traditional pastor down the street here will tell you that either they did not exist, which is stupid, or they existed at the same time as mankind in the in the very first century of creation, which is also stupid. Just to be honest with you, I know I sound harsh, but I mean, fact is fact. Ignorance is ignorance. Stupidity is stupidity. Now, let's come on. Let's get real now. We need honesty. And we need to say it the way it is. We know for a fact that the dinosaurs existed millions and millions and millions of years ago. And when we go, now, one place I've not been is the uh, Grand Canyon in Arizona or Nevada, wherever it is. But I've seen pictures of it. And the pictures themselves tell a story of layer upon 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 layer and I could keep saying that over and over and over and over and not exaggerate how many layers there are in that Grand Canyon. That is totally impossible in just 6,000 years. Totally impossible. And for us to deny that, and the fossils, and the bones, and everything else that we have proof of, of the ice age, and the age of the earth, and the age of the dinosaurs, and just totally reject it, throw it out the window, deny it, and say that can't be true. Why? Because Pastor Pastor so-and-so down the street who believes in three gods, who doesn't know the Bible, who doesn't know head from tails in the Bible, who keeps satanic holidays and think they glorify God, he tells you that the earth's only been here 6,000 years, and you take his word rather than the word of hundreds of layers in the Grand Canyon and the bones and the dinosaurs and all the other evidence and truth that we have. Come on now. We have got to let go of such foolishness. The fruit of the 6,000-year theory, the fruit of that theory, of that the earth is only 6,000 years, is that atheists laugh at us. Atheists look upon the theology and teachings and doctrines of the church and totally row on the floor laughing at us. We look foolish. We look stupid. We look ignorant. We look like we are unwise, unintelligent, ignorant fools. And the accusation is true. The atheists are right. Amen. Because we totally reject all total solid evidence.
ridiculous. The fruit of this false teaching of the false church is the atheists refuse to believe in God because the church lies and deceives. If the church would just accept the truth, let go of the traditional teachings of mankind of religious men who don't know the Bible and don't know science, don't understand or know anything, the blind leading the blind, if we just let go of those false teachings, then we can witness to the atheists and tell the atheists, we agree with you. The earth is millions of years old. And we would win at least a little bit more respect among the atheists. They wouldn't look at us as being as stupid and ignorant and foolish. They would listen to us a little bit more. So the fruit of the 6,000-year theory is the hindrance of people's salvation. There are many, many, many people from this earth that simply are not saved and will not get saved because of this one thing all by itself, the 6,000-year theory. It is a great hindrance of salvation upon this earth, a great, great hindrance upon salvation upon this earth. It cannot be underestimated what a great hindrance it is to the salvation of mankind. Now, of course, I do not agree with evolution as far as humans coming from monkeys. Of course I don't agree with that. I'm not going that far now. Come on now. But we cannot deny that the animals did come from previous animals that had already existed. We can't deny that when we look at the modern cat, the modern dog, the modern elephant, the modern crocodile, the modern zebra, so on and so on, how they did come from much, much, much older agent animals of their own kind. And so here in Genesis, God is telling for animals to come from their own kind in a new creation, a recreation of the earth because the earth had been subjected to vanity and corruption and to the ice age. We know the ice age existed. We know that it existed. And we know that ice age existed for a long, long, long time upon the earth before Adam and Eve. We know that animals and dinosaurs existed before the Ice Age for millions of years. And then the Ice Age came and lasted for more millions of years. And then there was a fall of the ice. Then there was the Garden of Eden and the recreation of the earth. These are the facts. And it's totally backed up by Scripture because you see that God created everything perfectly. Then corruption came upon the earth as we see in Genesis 1 verse 2 and as we see in Romans 8 verses 16 through 25. Now let's look at Revelation 
19, Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 20. Revelation 19, verse 20, talking about at the end of the Great Tribulation, in fact, even later than that, at the end of the wrath of God. At the end of the wrath of God. And talking about the day of Jesus coming on the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon, that very last day. As Jesus is coming down from the sky, we're coming down with him. Revelation 19, verse 20. The beast, when you read that in Arabic, it says Assad. I mean, not Assad, but Assad's real last name before he, before his dad or step uh, uh, dad or grandfather, whoever it was, that changed the family name. His real family name in Arabic is the same Arabic word that you would read here for the word beast. So on the website at isawthelightministries.com, isawthelightministries.com, I have that article on there proving. I give you... I think it's 51 points now, I think, maybe 52 points proving without a shadow of a doubt that the president of Syria is a fallen angel and he is the son of perdition, what they call the Antichrist, and that he is the beast. And so the beast, Assad's real family name, was seized, and with him, the false prophet talking about both popes, because you're going to see three so-called men, not one, not two, but three fallen angels manifesting as human leaders upon the mount, uh, the temple mount in Jerusalem after the strong delusion. The false prophet has two horns, which is two men, two horns of an animal, meaning two beasts, meaning two fallen angels. And within the false prophet, the two popes with Assad, all three men standing on the temple mount, but this is at the end. And so, and so Jesus is coming down to destroy them. And it says, they had performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two talk about two groups of people, not talking about two people, but two groups of people, meaning Assad and the two popes, two groups of people, were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. That's not humans, so don't take it out of context. These are not humans being thrown into the lake of fire in that particular verse, but fallen angels. And it burns with brimstone. It, it doesn't, and it does not say that they're going to stay alive. It just says that they are cast alive. Now you could take, go out here and, and find just an example off the top of my head. You could go out here and find a sick bird and throw that sick bird in a fire. Not that I would do that. Not that I would do that. But I'm just saying, if you find a sick bird or a diseased animal or something, throw it into the fire alive, it's going to die. It's going to die. 
But these creatures are thrown into the far alive, but they will die. And verse 21, the rest were killed. And the very fact that it says the rest were killed means that they were killed also. That the beast and the false prophets, that they too are killed. When you look at all these verses put together in the context and the Greek language and the Greek words and the Greek uh, structure of sentence and everything, they are all killed. The beast is killed, the false prophets are killed, and the rest were also killed with the sword which came down from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, talking about Jesus, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So you got the destruction of the Antichrist and both popes. And then chapter 20, verse 1, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss, and a great chain in his hand, and the dragon, Satan, was bound for a thousand years. Then we continue through the thousand years in chapter 20. Then we come to the second resurrection, which I'm not going to get into all that today. I've covered it over and over and over and over, and it's on the website. And we'll continue to cover it another time. But staying with the context of today's message, we go to chapter 21, verse 1. Chapter 21, verse 1. Chapter 21, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is after a thousand years and after the next hundred years that comes after that. So you've got a thousand and a hundred years. And if you want to read about that and find proof of that, I encourage you to read the article com slash hail.html. com slash hail.html to learn about the thousand and then the one hundred years. But here it says a new heaven and new earth eventually. Now people think that this means literally a brand new heaven and a brand new earth is what people think it means. But they're assuming wrong. It says for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. But the Greek can be translated many, 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 many different ways. It does not necessarily have to mean total annihilation of all creation. It does not have to mean that every molecule and every atom of the entire earth and the sun and the moon and every star and every planet and every solar system and every galaxy, all the comets and everything in all existence will totally, absolutely disappear and then a whole brand new one come. Come on now. Let's get real. Amen? What this is actually going to be is a remodeling of creation, just like it was in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. A remodeling, a recreation, cycles of time. The first creation of perfection, and then the second creation of remodeling the earth, recreating the earth in those seven days, and then Revelation 21, a third cycle, a third creation, a third 
a, a remodeling, another remodeling, another recreation. Can I prove that in Scripture? Yes. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And the book of Ecclesiastes is right after Proverbs. Right after Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes. Talking about cycles of time. One generation, then another generation. And the earth remains forever. The earth is always going to be here. Talking about this earth. This earth will always and for always and for always and for always and for always forever exist. Now you say, no, Pastor Tim, sometimes you say the word forever does not mean forever. Amen. I do say that because that's true. When you look at the circumcision of men, that men had to be circumcised, that's done away. We know it's done away. I mean, that is not, oh, man, that is so clear in Scripture that's done away. Amen. Yet the Bible says, that that covenant of circumcision is forever. What? Yep, it sure does say that. It also says that the killing of goats and lambs and all that for sacrifice for sins, that that is forever. Yet, we know that Scripture says that those sacrifices are done away with. The words perpetual and the word forever and the word eternal sometimes does not mean forever. It has to be considered in the context. For example, even in the English language, you can uh, say the word bird and be talking about an animal that flies. But the word bird is also the word for uh, this little plastic thing that you throw up in the sky and hit it with a racket if you're playing uh, Batman, a birdie. So the word birdie can mean, or bird or birdie can mean an animal, or a plastic thing you hit with a net when you're playing Batman. And there's many, 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 many other examples. In the Greek, the same is true with the words forever and perpetual and similar words like that, that it can mean different things in different contexts, and you have to look at the context in order to determine the meaning. You cannot accurately say that the word forever must always mean forever in every verse of the Bible, because if you do that, then salvation 
through Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus is impossible, but rather we must be circumcised and we must continue to kill the, the blood of goats and animals, do the clean, unclean animals and all the legalistic things of the Old Covenant, which we know better. Amen. So it must be determined by the context. When we look at the context of this verse and this chapter, talk about a generation coming and another generation come, a continual recycling of time, history repeating itself, and a continuation of life. One life comes and that life goes. The first life came and the next life comes. The first creation comes and the next creation comes. The first cycle and the next cycle. But the earth continues. So the context is the earth continuing and continuing despite different cycles of time and lifetimes. Verse 5, also the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to the place where it rises there again, blowing toward the south and turning toward the north, and the wind continues swirling along, and on its circular cycle, circular courses, the wind returns. Verse 7, all the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full, to the place where the rivers flow, and they will flow again. Recycling. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with the hearing, ear filled with hearing. Verse 9. That which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Amen. In other words, it's just a continual cycle. And even though it may appear new, it's not. Even though the new heavens and the new earth may appear new, they are really just remodeled. Amen. In verse 10, is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new? Already it has existed for ages. It has existed for ages which were before us. You know what that means? Before mankind. It had already existed. And it's talking about the earth the sun, creation, rivers, waters, the universe, it's all been here before. It is not new. The creation or recreation of chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, is not the real beginning, except for verse 1. These all existed for ages, eras. Periods of time, which were before us, before humanity. In verse 11, there is no remembrance of earlier things and also of the latter things which will occur. There will be no more. There will be for them no remembrance. That means no remembrance of the past. So, and among those who still come later still. So that means that we forget things. 
And the church has forgotten the previous creation. And when we get into the new creation, the new heavens and new earth, we will also forget this time. Amen? When we get into the new heavens and new earth, when everything is going to be perfect and we're going to be restored to the Garden of Eden, we will be restored to the Garden of Eden. But the Garden of Eden will be all over the earth at that time. We'll be brought back to the condition of Adam and Eve before they brought shame upon themselves. We'll be as the little children again. We'll no longer be thinking upon ourselves what's right and what's wrong of our own opinion, but rather according to the truth. And we won't remember this earth. We won't remember the floods and the earthquakes and the tidal waves and the meteors and the comets of this age. They will not come back to our mind. We will forget that this creation right now, we'll forget about the high gas prices and the electric bill on the rent. We will not remember any of this about our sufferings because it will be paradise. Paradise. Amen. Praise God. The 6,000-year theory cannot be proven in the Bible. The only thing they can do at their very, 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 very best, the Baptist preacher, the Lutheran preacher, the Presbyterian preacher, the best they can do is say that a day is as a thousand years with the Lord. They have pulled out that verse. And then they have twist that and say this proves that there must be a thousand years uh, seven times and if you take seven days of the week, then you'll have 7,000 years because each day is 1,000 years. So if you have seven days of the week, then you have 7,000 years of mankind. Where does the Bible say that? Nowhere. Where does the Bible say that every day of the week for seven days equals 7,000 years of mankind? Does not say it. It's not in the Bible. So we have to stop assuming things. Look at the bones of the dinosaur. Wake up and just admit, just admit it, just admit it to the atheists. Yes, it's real. Those layers are real. And this earth has been here millions of years. Once we admit that, we can start having an intelligent conversation with the atheists and they will listen to us. Amen? So let's get rid of these traditional doctrines of man and embrace the entirety of Scripture that the earth was created perfectly and then corruption came. Amen. I appreciate you listening today.
I appreciate your time and your patience. As I said, we'll be having services next week, Saturday and Sunday, both days. And they're going to be at the usual time. Both days will be at 2 o'clock Eastern Time uh, live. And then also they'll both be saved in the archives, just like all of our sermons are. They'll be saved in the archives automatically so that if you don't get to listen live for some reason or another, if you're in a different, different time zone or something and can't listen live, you can listen later on in the archives. Amen. Um, I really encourage everybody to keep the day of Pentecost. And if you don't know why that New Covenant Christians should keep Pentecost, I encourage you to check out the article about Pentecost because I give you scriptures about uh, the significance and how Pentecost points us to the first resurrection. How can that be done away with? The New Covenant Church kept Pentecost. Amen? And never, never did Paul, Peter, John, Jesus, or anyone ever say that these holy days were done away with. It's very simple. Very, very simple. All the holy days have new covenant meaning, and they teach us things that we need to learn and understand. We get great edification, great edification of keeping by keeping the holy days. I really encourage you to check out the Pentecost article uh, again, uh, even if you've already read it, to help you. It gives you uh, how to keep Pentecost, what it represents, and everything. Uh, and we did a sermon just last week, it was. So if you've not listened to last week's sermon about Pentecost, I really encourage you to listen to that as well as to read the article about Pentecost. Also, consider about saving up money, getting ready for the Fiesta of Tabernacles coming up October the 5th through the 12th. Come be with us in East Tennessee. Uh, and... Uh, If you have any questions, I really encourage you to seek the Lord on those things in prayer and in fasting and studying of the scriptures. And if you still have any questions, feel free to email me. I'll be glad to try to help you out. Thank you for listening today. Also, oh, let's do some prayer requests. I would like for people to be praying for Pastor Kim in South Korea. Let's always keep him in prayer. Pastor Kim. Mr. Kim in South Korea, uh, is always keep him in prayer. But right now, particularly, his mom is in the hospital with a, a situation where she had a steroid injection, a shot, and that caused her blood sugar levels to uh, shoot through the ceiling really high. And uh, but she's going to be okay, but we want to be praying for her and for his travels, because he had to travel to see his mom and spending some time with her and nursing her back to health and everything. And uh, he is seeing improvement with his mom. Let's keep him and his mom, as well as his wife and family, in prayer at all times. Let's pray for Sarah about her health. She's been having some headaches. Pray for Sarah. 
pray for her husband Leonard. Pray for uh, Jason up in Canada and his family. Pray for Melissa in Pennsylvania, her husband and her children. Uh, her husband needs salvation. Pray for Melissa, Sister Melissa. Pray for salvation of her husband. Pray for Jonathan, our brother Jonathan in prison. Pray for him. He's a true brother. Pray for Johnny in San Diego. He has the flu right now. So please pray for Brother Johnny, who has the flu right now. Uh, Let's just continue to pray for one another and for uh, everybody. Let's pray for the newsletter, for the website, protection of the website. Let's pray for continued perfection of the Alpha and Omega Bible. I will start sending out more of those Bibles uh, soon, hopefully within a couple weeks. And I continue to work on the Alpha and Omega Bible to get it more and more and more and more accurate, continuing to work on that. And But uh, I'm going to start sending out huge mass shipments, hopefully, Jesus willing, less than a month from now, hopefully, where they start sending out uh, lots and lots and lots and lots of the Alpha and Omega Bibles all over the world. There have been people waiting for this Bible for over a year that still do not have it. And uh, they're finally going a- going to be able to receive these Bibles uh, because of the faithfulness of, of uh, Sister Kiki in Australia as well as the faithfulness of Sister Lisa in New York State, uh, I cannot get these Bibles into the hands of the people without the support of the church. My wife and I are just poor people ourselves. Just poor people. I drive a 1991 car without any paint on it. It's just got primer on it. Just primer. And so we are not rich. We're not like Joel Olstein and Rick Warren and all the television evangelists and rich preachers. We're just simple, poor people. But we're not poor spiritually. Amen. We're rich in the Lord Jesus Christ, His Spirit, His power. Uh, so I cannot do these things without the help of our brothers, and our sisters across the world. And I really encourage people to be printing out the flyers from the website and sharing and distributing these flyers in your local community. Print these flyers out from the website and tape them up on the side of the drink machines all over town. And put them up on the bulletin board in every laundromat in town and in the next town, next to you. Put them on the car windows and so forth. Get these flyers out there about the strong delusion. People need this information. This is life-saving information, urgent, extreme information. It's got to get out there the truth about what the strong delusion is. 
It is so important. We've got to get this out there. And I really encourage people to be doing these things, to be doing your own evangelism within your own community. Now, as I said, I'm going to be releasing a revelation on Pentecost Day during the sermon. Now, this may be hard for some of you to accept, as a lot of other things I teach are hard for people to accept, because they're so hung up on traditional teachings. So I would like to encourage you to spend a little extra time between now and Pentecost asking the Lord to help you accept the truth and not be hindered in bondage to traditional doctrine. We need to be able to grow. We need to be able to recognize the truth when we hear it. We need to be able to recognize the truth and accept it and embrace it. Sometimes we can do that within a snap of a finger. Sometimes it may take a day, two days, a week, two weeks, a month, two months, a year, two years. There have been times that I heard the truth and it took me a year or two to fully accept it. It did take me that long to accept some of the truths that I teach now. But as we continue to grow in the truth and as we continue to grow in his spirit and in his will, we should be able to embrace things faster and easier as time goes to where now it no longer takes me two years to embrace the truth when I hear it. So the same is true for all of us. We all learn at a different rate of speed. We're all individuals. We're not all the same. And it may take different people, different amounts of time to accept the truth. But let's be praying that God would help us to embrace the truth more and to not be hindered by traditional thinking and traditional doctrines. Let's be willing to grow in understanding and in the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. This is all in Jesus' name. Amen.